This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hour number three of our Sunday get-together. Thank you for making us a part of your Sunday. I know you're headed to the golf course. Or maybe you're like me. When I get up there, I got some last-minute shopping to do for a little barbecuing tomorrow on Labor Day. Well, whatever it is, I'm glad you brought us along. 1-800-919-3776. Also via X at Hardesty ESPN at ESPNNY 98 underscore 7 FM. My next guest, very good on X at B Custer TV. He is Brian Custer. He is a, a colleague up at ESPN with SportsCenter. He's done some play-by-play. He's also a Showtime boxing host. And so I wanted to talk. I felt like talking a little boxing this week. So I said, let me call Brian Custer and see what's happening. Brian, how are you, my friend? <laughs> No, it's great to hear from you, Larry. It's always good to hear from you, my friend. One of the reasons that, that jumped out at me to uh, to talk to you a little bit about boxing is the follow-up on the uh, Bud Crawford, Errol Spence fight. Now, Brian, mm-hmm. you, you've called fights. You've seen them. You, you do a great job with Showtime. I mean, I didn't think we should rematch this. I understood <laughs> there was a contract involved. I get it. Yeah, right. But I'm looking at this, and I'm like... I don't know if I want to see this again. Brian, take me through your thoughts on the first fight and your thoughts about a rematch. Well, I think, um, you know, listen, you, you're dealing with highly competitive athletes. And, you know, say what you want about, you know, Errol Spence Jr. He was a unified champion. And I think he, he looks at it as if there's no way uh, I'm going to let um, this person not only take my belts, but um, – let that be uh, a stain on my record. And I think he feels, feels like he stayed at 147 a fight too long. And therefore, I think that the main reason why he's exercised the rematch clause, because, you know, the next fight is going to be at 154. And he believes now with those seven pounds, seven uh, pounds that, you know, I can uh, be fresher. Uh, I won't be weight drained and I can give the performance uh, that many thought I should have given in that first fight. Now, on the other hand, Bud Crawford is special. I mean, I don't care if it's 147 or 154, Bud Crawford is a bad man when it comes to being in that ring. I think the surprising thing was, when you look at that first fight, everyone thought that Errol Spence would be the bully in that fight because he's always typically the bigger guy, but people forget Bud Crawford is that he was a championship wrestler too, so he is a strong guy. Even though he may be in the physique, maybe look smaller, he's a really strong guy, and he showed that first fight he was the bully uh, and the quicker guy. And so it will be interesting to see at one fifty four is there a difference? For me, Brian, looking at that in the first couple of rounds, it was almost like Bud Crawford said, "All right, let me stay here." You expected Spence to come forward. He did. And he felt it looked like, mm-hmm. oh, he can't really hurt me. Okay, this is over. Right. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just take over this fight. Well, I, I will tell you this. You know, after the fight, I went into both of their dressing rooms. I did speak with Errol. I spoke with Bud. And even then, even right after the fight, uh, Errol looked me in the eye and he said, I can't go out like this. There's no way. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to do it again. So I knew that he would exercise the rematch clause. When I talked with Bud, um, he said for him, 
the whole complexion of that fight changed in the second round because he said, if you go back in the second round, he said Arrow hit him flush with a left hand, and he hit him flush. He rolled with it, but he said once he felt it, he said to himself, that's all you got? Mm-hmm. And Bud said he actually – and I have to look at this on the tape, but he says that when Arrow hit him flush in that second round is when Bud said, I'm going to whoop your ass. Mm. And uh, he said he's told him that. And, and he said because in his mind he felt like, this dude, everyone said how powerful he is. I didn't feel nothing. Yeah. And uh, he said, yeah, hell, heck, he knocked him down. <laughs> he knocked him down with a jab in that in that second round. So obviously what he said was right on, and we all know what happened after that. I will say this, uh, Brian, and Brian Custer is my guest. I hope, I hope that he, that Errol Spence in the second fight, in the rematch, when he punches, he will not stand there and wait to get hit. I hope he moves <laughs> to the side <laughs> that he did in the first fight. <laughs> yeah, you listen. He got to get off that line. That's number one. Number two, he, he, you know, listen. It, and I know Derek James's trainer took a lot of heat, but. You know, if you watch the fight and you hear him in the corner, he kept saying, why are you standing in front of him? You need mm-hmm. to punch, step around, punch, step around. And Errol just didn't do it. Now, he just said he just had nothing. You know, he felt like his body had nothing anymore. And maybe he did stay at a fight at 147, uh, a fight too long because he's been waiting for Bud Crawford for a while to get this fight on. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it'll be different. He'll have more energy, more vigor at 154. You know, listen, Arrow generally walks around at 180. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, that has losing 35, 40 pounds has always been a big weight cut for him. So mm-hmm. let's see if it makes a difference at 154. I know he wants to do it before the end of the year. So they want to get it done in December. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out. But, you know, he's got to make some adjustments. There's no question about that, Brian. Oh, without question. Without question. Without question. One fight that I'm looking forward to is a fight that you guys have. Uh, it's the end of next month's schedule. This uh, Canelo Alvarez and, and Jamel Charo. 12 rounds for yes. uh, Alvarez Super Middleweight Undisputed Championship. Uh, yes. Pre, uh, you know, uh, take me through that one. Listen, unprecedented is the way is the way I've I've described it. Only for the simple fact, never in the sport of boxing have you had two undisputed, undisputed champions fighting each other from different weight divisions. Jermel is moving up two weight divisions, two weight divisions. So he's going up not only from one sixty to one sixty eight because he's the, he's the undisputed champ at one fifty four to meet Canelo and fight for Canelo's belt at 168. I think this is really interesting because, you know, people look at it and they say, well, if you look at the John Ryder fight Canelo just had in May, he looked slow defensively. He got hit. Now, obviously, he ended up stopping Ryder, but it wasn't until the later rounds, but he took a lot of punishment. Canelo said there was reasons for that because he was coming off the, the wrist surgery and that, you know, he couldn't train the way he wanted to for that fight. Uh, so he said he will be a different guy next month. Charlo is a puncher at 154. Uh, he's knocked a lot of guys out. And, again, in that Darryl, Derek James, Errol Spence, Anthony Joshua training camp there in Dallas. Um, and, you know, Charlo is, is interesting because he's a big guy, and everyone always says, how does he get down to 154? Mm-hmm. So now he feels like, well, you know what? I don't have to drain my body down. 
and I can fight at, at a really at a natural weight for me and go challenge Canelo, and I my power will carry up. We'll see. That will be the big question. I think if you're Charlo, I'm not trying to slug with Canelo Alvarez, who is a natural 168-pounder. I'm not trying to go toe-to-toe with him. Use your God-given gifts. Boxing, when you can, trade, but you got to box Canelo. And if you can do that the way he fought Castaño when he became undisputed, if he can do that times 10, I give, I give Charlo a chance in this fight, a really good chance. That sounds like that's going to be a good one, Brian. That's going to be, especially when you talk yeah. about going up that many weight classes in fight. That's that, yeah. that's always tough. That's tough. I, I, absolutely, going up two, going up two weight, and we saw what happened. We saw what happened. Remember when Canelo went up a weight class to trail uh, to, to take on Bivol, and Bivol mm-hmm. just pounded him. Yeah, he just pounded Canelo. So Charlo's going up two to take on Canelo. So we'll see what happens. Uh, he's a big guy. Uh, so this is going to be a really, really interesting fight, all-action fight. I can't wait. Brian Custer is my guest. Brian, uh, Tyson Fury has been a heavyweight that, that has fascinated me uh, because he's a guy that has – you talk about reach. <laughs> he's got some reach. He keeps you at a distance, and it just seems like his body is waiting for somebody to beat up on it, but you just can't yeah. get there. Uh, he's, got a, he's got a heavyweight fight coming up a little later in a couple of months. Uh, down in Saudi yeah. Arabia, uh, is, yeah. is is he right now the class of the heavyweight division? Is there such a thing, Brian? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, listen. Obviously, you know, Fury has been the longest reigning champ right now in the heavyweight division. Usyk is the guy who's the unified champ and has the majority of the belts. You know, everybody wants to see Usyk and Tyson Fury fight because Tyson Fury is. You know, he's he's beaten Deontay Wilder. Uh, a couple of times now, and people just look at the heavyweight division and say, yeah, he's the guy. This is the guy. Now, it's interesting that you know he's taking on Francis Ngannou uh, in this, this exhibition fight, as you point out, in Saudi Arabia, because, you know, look, they see it just like when Mayweather fought Conor McGregor. This is a money fight. Uh, he's going to get paid a whole lot of money to fight the heavyweight champion who was, a, who was the heavyweight champion in the UFC and was a big-time striker. So I can understand the intrigue of it, but I, I think I, my, my opinion is Tyson Fury will probably box circles around Ngannou and and win that fight. I, I believe easily. Um, I, everybody wants to see Fury and Usyk fight, uh-huh. and they want a round robin. The, the talk is Joshua fighting Wilder, Usyk fighting Tyson Fury, and the winners of those fights then fight each other. And I think that's what everybody would like to see happen in the heavyweight division. Aside from those two, what's one fight, Brian, for you? One fight that if you could make it happen right now, that would be the one that you and everybody else would want to see, regardless of weight class. Uh, i tell you what. How about this? I'm going to go out on a limb. I would love to see two of the most exciting fighters right now. I would love to see Gervonta Tank Davis and Nioia anyway. The monster taking on the tank. I mean, the way Inouye has just blown people away at 118. Uh, he just just knocked out Stephen Fulton, moved up in weight, and took out Stephen Fulton uh, uh, at his weight at 120. I mean, I would love to see anyway come up in weight and 
take on Gervonta Tank Davis, I think that would be one heck of a exciting fight uh, for boxing fans who really love the sport. Brian, I got one more for you before I let you go, and I thank you for a couple of minutes on the Sunday. I saw Muhammad Ali's grandson, uh, Nico Ali yeah. Walsh, and the first loss yeah. in his last bout. And it was close. I thought he did enough to win. Um, what have I you seen too. from him, and what do you think about his future? Like him. Uh, great kid. Um, and listen, I, I think he, he, he's, got, he's got some skills to him. I would love for him to have a little more power. Uh, but I, I'm with you. I think he, I thought he did enough to win that fight. Uh, I was surprised that uh, they gave it to someone else, considering it was a top-ranked card. <laughs> Generally, <laughs> promoters ain't gonna, gonna do their best. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying generally a promoter will make sure his guy is going to win. Uh, so that was surprising that uh, he took that L in that fight. Um, but yeah, I, I like him. I like him a lot. I think you know, obviously, you know, he's gonna need a little more seasoning, uh, get a little more power. But I think he's got a bright future. I mean, how, as your as a promoter, how you take the man's first loss? <laughs> I know, in, you, I know, I, like I know. That. Bob Arum was running down looking at them judges like, "What are y'all doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm paying y'all. <laughs> y'all get paid for this, and you, you give my guy a loss." <laughs> Brian, they won't be back. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> they will not be back. Listen, my friend, great catching up with you as always. Continued success. We're watching you. You're doing a great job. As that fight gets closer to next back. month with Cornello, we'll check back in with you to get your thoughts as well. Man, I appreciate it. I'll, I'll see you. I got to do get up tomorrow morning. So I'll see you on TV tomorrow. Sounds good. See you then, my friend. Okay. Okay. Right, that's Brian Custer. 1-800-919-377. Since I got a couple of minutes, give me your thoughts on what Brian Custer had to say uh, about the, the, the uh, upcoming fights and especially the... Listen, do I understand that Errol Spence doesn't want to go out like that? Absolutely. I get it. But you know, somebody needs to... He's got to change. That's all I'm saying. He got to change. Because doing that again is not going to work. Your thoughts are next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Yeah, I like this. Hardesty on a Sunday on 98.7 ESPN. Man, it's really good talking to Brian Custer. Talking a little boxing. And I, I, what made me put in the call to him was it's the first thing that came through now like i said to you before the break i understand the mindset of a competitor i get it you got knocked down not once but twice several times in that fight you're not trying to go out like that and you can rationalize to yourself well you know it's high weight lower weight class lost a lot of weight boom, 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 boom. but when you look at the video somebody in the room is supposed to tell you, yo, <laughs> okay, I, I don't think we should do this. But if you really, really want to do this, then this is what we have to do. And remember, his dad is in that corner. And that's got to be a tough spot too. But I, I just, and Brian confirmed what I told you, and you could see it in the fight. 
when Crawford realized that Spence could not hurt him, it was over. It was done. It was done. Over. Goodbye. It was just a matter of how bad the beating was going to be. And again, (laughs) criticism on the corner. Okay, I understand that in a sense. But as a boxer, you in your head, you make adjustments. How would you punch and then stand right there? Like, okay, I can take a punch, hit me. No, no, not with Bud Crawford. Bud Crawford is an outstanding boxer with punch, with power. There are some guys who walk around at weight class. There's some guys who, when they move up, their punching power doesn't move up with them. Uh, Crawford is a guy that, you know, he's paid his dues. He's got the right mindset. He is, he's a guy that, you know, he, he's a guy that you got to be very careful how you handle him. And so um, this is going to be interesting. That's all I'm going to say. This is going to be interesting. I'm hoping it will be a little different. Uh, like I said about Tyson Fury, you know, I'm 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 waiting to see who's going to really challenge him. That that's all I got to say. I'm waiting to see. The punching, the the, the 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 reach is amazing. It keeps you, you know, it keeps you at a distance. There's no question, and and it protects his body. His body, you know, you look at him, you're like, oh, really? But nevertheless, he's got the good punching. He's got punching power, and you can't get to him. So you got to be a person that's got to be ultra aggressive, be willing to take one to get inside that reach and try to do some damage, but you can't stay there. Right? You got to, you know, stick and move, stick and move in that sense. Uh, the Canelo, the Alvarez-Charlo match and bout that comes up later this month, September 30th uh, in Vegas um, is, you know, that's, that's, I've been an Alvarez fan for a while. And he is amazing with how he's able to power through bouts. Okay. He, he's able to, to somehow, he may not look great. He may not look the best. He may look like you're, he's, he's done. But he finds a way just to wear you down. And so this fight, and as Brian mentioned, how he looked in his last fight, and then you got a guy going up two weight classes. Now, if he brings his punching power, that's going to be something. But the other side of it is you go up two weight classes. How does it affect your speed? How does it affect you having to be able to move and move away from the punching power of your opponent? That's why that's going to be a, uh, you know, that, that should be a good match. That should be a good fight. And that's, uh, you know, that's a Showtime pay-per-view event. And that's going to be the end of the month. And there's, you know, there's other fights and stuff that, that you know, are taking place, but you know, boxing has always been the frustrating sport where you just, there's, there's fights and matches that you want to see that you just end up not seeing. Or you see them and it's late. And you wish you had seen them two years, three years, four years, sometimes five years earlier than what you've seen, what you see them. And that's, that's, that's what really just drives you nuts about the sport of boxing. Hopefully, they do a better job of getting that done in the future because there's some fights that you know you're waiting to see, you just haven't seen, and you're just like, when are we going to see them? You know, we had the conversation a little bit earlier about uh, the young players with the Mets and Yankees. Ronnie Mauricio, single stolen bases, just scored on an Alvarez hit, and once again, it's about not win or lose. 
It's about what you see from these young players. And uh, Mauricio's had five hits this weekend in this series against Seattle. It's been very nice. When we return, we'll chat with the son of Anthony Mason. Antoine Mason will join me here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Welcoming in our next guest. He's a young man who I've been looking forward to chatting with. He's uh, doing some great things, watching him and, and hearing about how he's performing in the Hoops in the Sun tournament. As I've talked about earlier a lot on this on the station, uh, what the Cruz family has done and bringing you know, tournaments and pros and semi-pros and young players, giving them a venue and a chance to play. And Antoine Mason has really done a nice job in taking advantage of that. And he joins me now here on 987 ESPN. Hey, Antoine, how are you? Hi, uh, thanks for having me. My pleasure, Antoine. Let's talk a little bit about uh, this is your third year uh, in Hoops in the Sun, and your team is Hidden Talent, correct? Yes. Tell me about Hidden Talent. What yes, makes you guys so? What makes you guys so successful? Um, we have a a bunch of people that been overlooked. I, I feel like, and uh, we just try to prove uh, that we are very talented and we can win um so we've been playing with each other for about three years uh we have a connection with each other um always in a group chat and everything like that so besides being um close on the court we're close uh off the court so i think that gives us uh advantage all right antoine take this opportunity so you don't get in trouble to shout out some of your teammates and your coaches Oh, yeah, of course. I got to give a shout-out to Coach Shabby. I got to give a shout-out to all the hit of talent. Uh, Doug, Chris, Ty, Moody, Boo, uh, Dane, uh, Tysi, everybody. Chris, everybody, everybody. They know who they are. Uh, <laughs> always love his family. Hey, Antoine, you had 31 points in the championship game versus Young Ones, which you guys won 99-87. Uh, you went undefeated this season, and that's only the second time ever at Hoops in the Sun. What came together for you and your teammates this year to ride the championship as an undefeated team? First, uh, I got to give God the glory um, for everybody being healthy, um, everybody being able to contribute. Um, and that, that's history being undefeated. Uh, for us, we just took it game by game, um, possession by possession. It sounds cliche, but um, every quarter we wanted to be up. Um, you know, teams are talented. They make runs. But uh, we, we stuck together. We never, uh, you know, felt down on ourselves, never got too high on our highs, low on our lows. Uh, stayed even killed, and that's what really – made us successful each game. Now, I'm not going to – I'll just put this out there. I think you're a fabulous player, but this just backs up what I'm saying. You've got two championships, 21 in this year. you got two championship MVPs, 21 in this year. you got two regular season MVPs, 2021 in this year, which was a co-MVP with Andre Rivera. We give him a shout-out from Young Ones. And as I mentioned, 31 points in the championship game. How has your game developed over the past couple of years to elevate it to the point that it's being recognized the way it's been right now? Um, just putting the extra work in. And uh, I thank God because uh, 
last year I ruptured my Achilles. And, you know, that's one of those injuries that everybody want to say is like the, the end of the career injury. And I just put in my mind that I was going to be better than I was. And I have to give out a shout-out to my teammates and my coaches in Jordan when uh, it happened. They they told me to just stay positive and um, work on things that I can while I'm injured. So while I was hurt and in a cast and everything, I would go to their practices, shoot um, off of a chair, just working on my shot consistency. And then when I was able to, you know, um, strengthen my Achilles, my foot with um, sports care with Jeff, and uh, Dr. Amali, uh, I start seeing the progression, the, the strengthening, and as I was getting more athletic back to myself, uh, everything that I was putting work in with the shooting, uh, my ball handling, uh, just watching a lot of NBA uh, film on players that I, I like to look up to. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, just, just gaining the the knowledge on the court and off the court. And then by the time I was able to play, it had to get over the mental health um, hump of knowing that it's not going to be hurt anymore. And then once I got over that, it was sky's the limit. Um, everybody knows, uh, that knows me when I have my confidence, when I'm healthy, um, I'm, I'm very dangerous. So Antoine, I talk about this a lot to my audience. So you can take us further into that unfortunately for you with the rupture of the Achilles from first-hand experience. How long did it take for you to understand that the injury had healed physically, but mentally it was still bothering you in the sense that could I make the moves that I normally make and nothing else happened and I'll be okay? How long did that take and what's that process like? So it took me six months uh, to be able to do basketball things, play, uh, but it really, in my opinion, it took me about eight to nine months to really trust it. Uh, when I was playing, it was always in the back of my mind, like, can I jump off of it? Can I do this? Can I, like, you don't want to hurt it. You start feeling everything in your body, uh, like little things uh, that doesn't even have any factor to the injury, but uh, you start being more in tune to your body, and then you just have to eventually – let it go and trust that you are okay. And um, I was talking to somebody and they were like, you know, like when you have the surgery, it pills. It just has to get strong. Like your muscles have to get strong. And I was like, yeah, you're actually right about that. But, you know, in your mind, you're so concerned of you don't want to. I, I never, before that injury, I never not had a ball in my hand or did something for like a week the most a week so to be out for six months it, it was very tough and I did not want to be hurt or sit out uh, forever again it felt like forever so um, when I was training and start seeing you know start trusting my leg more and then the mental aspect got over just from playing 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 even though I knew I wasn't going to be as great as I, I could play, but I had to play. Um, it's something that my dad always taught me, even like, you know, a tweak of an ankle or something. He said, you're going to have to play through it in order for it to get stronger. So my mindset was like, all right, you know, play as many games or as, as much competition as I can. And then 
as that keeps happening, my mind is going to get comfortable. I'm going to get comfortable. My strength is going to get there. And then I can just keep seeing the progression and start taking, uh, you know, self-goals, daily goals to, to uh, reach where I want it to be. It's the voice of Antoine Mason. He's my guest here on 98.7 ESPN. His dad, he alluded to, is the outstanding Nick forward, Anthony Mason. And so, Antoine, let's talk a little bit about the relationship with your dad, uh, how you, what it was like to, to, I remember you sitting on his lap at some press conferences to show you how far I go back. So uh, talk about <laughs> talk about that relationship with your dad, what it was like to, to be the son of a homegrown product who everybody loved. Um, as a kid, I didn't know uh, he was famous. He was just my dad to me. Uh, you know, I, I was used to just going to Nick games and following him, uh, being his, his little shadow. Um, and as I started getting older, I realized, you know, the magnitude of the person he is. Uh, kids were like, do you know who your father is? I was like, yeah, like, it's my dad. But then I started understanding, all right, he's actually – an NBA player, like people come up to him and, you know, are, you know, they, they make their day seeing him. And, um, yeah, our relationship was, I always say it was more than a father son relationship. He was my best friend. Um, we could talk about anything. And when we talked about sports, um, it, it really got into depth, especially when it came to basketball, because, he reached the goal that I want to reach. So he would tell me things and give me insights of the game that nobody else could because he had that experience. So around high school, I would say, we start really getting into like the X and O's of, of the game, the details of the game, where during the summers, you know, I, I play AAU, but then I would train with him and, trained like a NBA NBA pro, an NBA all-star. So um start picking his brain as much as I could. And then when I got to college, we worked on things um, that I was weak at and things that I was strong at to just, um, you know, mold my game and get better. And he was like my, um, you know how coaches in football have that mic in uh, the quarterback there. He always was at my game, so at halftime we would talk about things that we thought I was doing right, things that I wasn't doing right, and we would correct it. And I just every year that I was able to train with him, I start seeing more and more and more, and realizing the game and making the game easier. Especially um, my junior year, it was during the NBA lockout, and we trained so much. That you know, I led the nation in scoring that uh, that that upcoming season. From all the training, everything that he taught me, the game slowed down for me a, a lot. So, um, you know, guy rest his soul. I miss him every day. But I use what he taught me till now, and just try to think of things that he taught me to just keep molding and perfecting my craft. He is uh, sorely missed, Antoine. I got to tell you, obviously for you, but for the rest of us, all who were Nick fans, we just loved him. He was, he was his ability, his size, but his quickness and 
jump shooting ability and ball handling. I mean, he was he would be he was a forefront of what we see today. You know, a, a big man who could handle the ball and move anywhere he wanted to move. Plus, you know, uh, defensively, he was called the locksmith for a reason. <laughs> he told me about that every time he could. Uh, he always said he was ahead of his time and uh, truly was a uh, point forward. Uh, his skill set could fit in any era. Um, so, yeah, he let me know about that every chance he got <laughs> working out with him. Uh, anywhere, at home, watching TV. Yeah, I'm, I'm a beast. I could just this, that. Uh, like, yeah, I know. I, I watched it. I was there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, his, his, his game is his timeless. It, it could go in any era. Antoine Mason, Anthony Mason's son. One of Anthony Mason's sons is my guest. Antoine, a couple more questions for you. Uh, talk a little bit about Hoops Under the Sun, what it means, what that, that, that tournament means to players like yourself who are getting that experience, getting that exposure, hoping that leads to a G League opportunity or hopefully at the end an NBA opportunity. Um, it's one of the greatest tournaments um, in New York. And um, it's actually ironic. Um, me and my dad went to watch my brother play in and that was, yeah. You know, I used to play the, the uh, when I was a little kid in Hoops and stuff, but the unlimited the adult um, league. He was like, he was like, you ready for this? He was like, you gonna be in here in a couple of years? You ready for this? And I was like, yeah, I'm ready. I like, I'm ready to carry that that Mason's name. Um, so um, every time I step on that court, I, I I take pride in who I am, who my family is, um, and just try to be the best player I can be. Uh, and, you know, like you said, God willing, uh, opportunities open up, G League, NBA, obviously the goal is to play in the NBA, and I, I believe I'm ready. Um, I've been working on my game nonstop and, you know, played against some some of the highest caliber players that's in the league and did very well for myself. So I'm just waiting for the opportunity. All right, Antoine, for folks who haven't seen you, give me the stats. Give me your, your, your position, your, your height, your, your the average. We kind of know. We know your score. We can see that. You, you, can, you can hit shots. That, that, that's unquestioned. But give, give, the play, give the audience a little stat, sense of who you are and what you, um, you know, your, 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 your stats. Um, point guard, shooting guard, could play the small forward, could guard one through four. Um, just have a chip on my shoulder every time I, I step on the court. Um, as you said, I could score in uh, every aspect, inside, outside, mid-range. Um, defensively, I'm a competitor. Um, once I learn your moves and pick up on your moves, I, I start taking things away from you. Um, and uh, I'm a leader on the court. I, I try to lead by example and, and help my teammates um, any way I can. You know, uh, it's good that you're a talent and you could, you know, showcase yourself. But if you could bring your team with you, that makes you way more important. So I'm some I'm somebody that will sacrifice uh, and just want to win. That's my main goal. Uh, we win. I don't care about my stats. I'm happy. Uh, but I know that the talent that I have and the team that I play with, that they rely on my talent to, you know, be what everybody knows. So I, I, every day I have to uh, prove myself and 
and that's that's who I am. Two more for you, Antoine. Where did you get the quote? I do what I want. Y'all do what y'all can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's just me. That's just me being me. Uh, when I'm confident, uh, the words just come out. So um, I, I live by it, uh, and that's just something that when you put the work in uh, and you work on all aspects of your game, you don't let teams dictate or lock you up, and that's that's something. I, I learned uh, in high school and college, um, you know, teams would try to take things away from me, and then especially in a professional uh, pro level uh, overseas, um, it was one particular season that I didn't feel like myself. I didn't feel like I could control the game like I wanted to, and I was I was angry after the season. I just worked on everything where I said, if I'm in any position, any situation I'll, I'll be uh, great at it so once I start building that and getting confident and, and you know and playing in any position any situation I'm comfortable in I, I just tell people like there's nothing you can really do to stop me like I do what I want you, you do what you can so <laughs> that's that's pretty much where the growth came from <laughs> last thing Antoine and I appreciate you taking a couple of minutes to join me today in looking at uh, your your feeds on X, formerly Twitter, hearing your conversation today, uh, you are clearly a man of faith. How does your faith yeah. keep you from being discouraged? Because you're seeing, you're putting in the hard work, but you have not realized your dream yet. How does being a man of faith help you through that? Uh, that's very important to me, especially, um, the, you know, dealing with my dad's passing uh, during my senior year. Um, I felt like I never really had my senior year. Um, it made me closer to God knowing that I have to I have to trust him. And, uh, faith is something that you work on and you have to have trust in order to, you know, believe. And if you believe uh, something's going to happen with God, uh, things do come true. Um, and I, I truly believe that. Um, and I don't know where I would be if I didn't have faith. Um, you know, people see me overcome certain injuries or, you know, have a level head when my dad passed. That, that all comes from God. If I, if I didn't have him in my, you know, in my pedigree, I, I honestly wouldn't know where I would be. And like you said, I'm not where I want to be, but I know when I get that opportunity, I'll be ready for it. And just, just have, have the faith of it's going to happen. Um, you know, people get discouraged. Everybody's human. You have emotions. But um, and you set that aside and you just keep picking yourself up. And eventually it'll happen. Uh, I truly believe that. And I know I'll be ready for it. So that's where my faith comes from. Um, my parents installed it since I was a kid. I used to, I still do, but when I was a little kid, uh, they had me in the church. And as I got older, I was reading the Bible myself and, you know, going to church myself and uh, start understanding more and more of who he is and what he does for us. 
Antoine, thanks for a couple of minutes, my friend. We'll check in on you. Continue success. Uh, and, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. All right. My pleasure. Right, that was Antoine Mason. Nice little chat with him. We'll come back and wrap up this edition of the Larry Hardesty Show next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Great chatting with Antoine Mason a couple of minutes ago, one of Anthony Mason's sons. Continue on the legacy. And, uh, you know, he's a scorer. <laughs> There's no question about it. He could put points up. You know, uh, hope he doesn't, hope somebody gives him a chance. Because, you know, when you can score, you got a shot. That's all I'm going to say. As long as you can score, you have a shot. So it was great to chat with him. And, um, and also to let people give more people information about the great work that Hoops, on, Hoops uh, in the Sun has done over the years and continues to do up in the Mount Vernon, New Rochelle area. It's, it's uh, you know, they do a great job, man. They really do. They really, really do. So to kind of recap what we did here today on the Larry Hardesty Show is we had a lot of conversation. Uh, we started out with baseball. We started out with, you know, the kids and what's happening with them. Uh, for both local baseball teams with the Yankees and the Mets. And we'll see what the kids do when they play uh, Houston later today. Uh, Mauricio has, you know, single, stole a base, and scored a run in the Met game today. Francisco Alvarez brought him in with an RBI. We've seen uh, Brett Beatty with a nice play defensively at third. Uh, Vientos got hurt yesterday, said his foot has been bothering him. So he had a good offensive day yesterday. So that's what this is about. You're looking at Tyler McGill today, and, you know, this is what he's been. Has a strong start, but there's there always seems to be one inning where he just implodes and he's not able to get out of it. It's so different from the Tyler McGill we saw a couple of years ago who started the season because Jacob DeGrom was hurt. I mean, he was a guy that kept the Mets close. He, he pitched very well. He has not been able to recapture that adjustment. And that's the key thing, right? is how do you adjust when the league adjusts to you? I don't care what sport it is, whatever you play, people adjust to you. And how do you now counter that adjustment? He's not been able to counter that adjustment consistently. So now that's why there's a question whether he's going to be part of this rotation next season, whether David Peterson's going to be part of this rotation next season. These are some of the questions that the Mets have to answer for. And as I mentioned, listen, you got, for a Yankee fan, your guys, you had four of them, four or five of them come up. They've done a nice job over the first two games against a quality Houston Astros ball club. So you continue to root for that progress. It's not about wins and losses for you, the fan. It's about, let me see what these young players can do because that's what you've been crying for. And you've been crying for them for a while. Then we also uh, talked a little football. We talked Jets. We talked very little Giants, but we talked some Jets to see what they were going to do. Uh, what's going on with them, how they got plans, how are they preparing for the uh, Buffalo Bills on 9-11, which is a week from tomorrow. And a week from tonight, of course, is the Giants opening up against the Dallas Cowboys at MetLife. Then we chatted with Brian Custer, talked a little boxing, and of course, Antoine Mason, just the last segment to talk about what he's been doing and um, his relationship with his dad and what that's like. And <clears throat> excuse me, can you imagine the pressures of growing up and your dad plays for the Knicks, and he is a vocal, intimate, dominant part of that team that was the 90s, that was such really a, 
the year of success for that franchise where they were always in the playoffs and always battling for a championship. It was fun. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Larry Hardesty Show. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.